I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. A digital divide is making it harder for older people to get in line for COVID-19 vaccinations. New guidelines will be issued today that will expand vaccine eligibility to everyone 65 years of age and older. Easier said than done, it's said, for those on the wrong side of the digital divide. We are receiving phone calls of people who are very frustrated. They're not user-friendly. They're only in English. It would be impossible for anyone my age to try and do it without help. More than a quarter of people older than 60 don't use the internet. And as of last year, nearly half don't own a smartphone. Older Americans have been some of the most vulnerable during this pandemic. So what are we doing to help them navigate the complex world of health information? Dr. Valerie Press is a hospitalist and assistant professor of pediatrics at University of Chicago Medicine. She and her colleagues have been conducting studies on health and technology literacy in at-risk populations. Hi, Dr. Press. Hi, thank you for having me. Also, Lori Orlov, founder of the market research blog Aging and Health Technology Watch. She's an industry expert and elder care advocate. Hi, Lori. Welcome to Reset. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Dr. Press, I will start with you. Uh, Let's first address yesterday's news about the portal that's now allowing Chicagoans to schedule their COVID vaccines online. I can't imagine that this doesn't fall into the same issue of access. Yes, I mean, I think it's really encouraging to see rapid updates to implementation across the city and state. And I think the ZocDoc platform will help consolidate the multiple opportunities that existed to a single source. But you are correct that it doesn't entirely solve the access issues. You heard some of the call-in voices before talking about how difficult it is to use technology uh, with technology literacy or simply access to devices if they're not English speakers, et cetera. So it's it's a great first step, um, but it's still a first-come, first-served process that will impair the ability for many people to be able to access these slots. So, Doctor, paint the picture for us. What does the landscape look like here locally when it comes to broadband access? What do we know? Yeah, that is a great question. There was a great piece in the Chicago Tribune a couple months ago about digital redlining. This is where, even though we are an urban community, many of our neighborhoods don't have equal access to broadband, meaning that if you're signing up for vaccines online and it's first come, first serve, If your internet broadband is slower than somebody across the city, you don't have equal access. And this is also true of cellular access if someone was trying to do this without internet but on their phone. Laurie, we hear the doctor talking about digital redlining. Where do you even begin to to address this gap? Do you start with broadband or is it training? Well, I think there's a mix of communication about how to get online. I'm not sure how else it's being publicized. I don't know if the newspapers are uh, printing information about what to do. I don't know if there's a guide that has been distributed by the health department or anybody else about how to get online. These are uh, minimal steps that could be taken. The cost of broadband in the United States is not trivial. Um, you know, it seems to average between 50 and $60 a month, and then you also need a device, and then you need some training, and where would you find the training? Senior centers offer it, but, you know, people need to know how to find the appropriate training. And what puzzles me about this method for getting access to the vaccine is it seems like there's other ways to do this. 
There could be telephone numbers to call. There could be multiple telephone numbers to call. There could be a queue of operators standing by. Many things uh, I can imagine, but I also uh, see this in Florida where I am. People have been fighting to get into the queue of vaccine scheduling, and that's been going on for the past several weeks. And some people get up at 4 in the morning and wait until a website opens up and try to be the first in order to get on there. So it does seem to be a bit of a crazy time and a significant barrier. Lori, I should get your thoughts as well on on ZocDoc, the new online portal for for scheduling vaccines. I haven't looked at it, but I hope that they have a way of communicating about it that doesn't just say this is it, but also says this is what you do, this is who to contact for assistance. And, uh, you know, announcing the existence of a portal, as I certainly have seen in my area in Florida, Uh, doesn't get the job done. Dr. Press, uh, sometimes people joke about this this, uh, digital divide, right? They call Mm -hmm. people technologically challenged or, you know, make fun of an elderly parent or grandparent who needs help figuring out a cell phone or or some other new piece of technology. Mm -hmm. But right now, this is serious. During a pandemic, especially, it could actually be life or death. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point. It, it's not a joke when it comes to health. And I think um, in, in a piece that Lori actually wrote, I liked how she spoke about how we talk in the past about digital divide, but perhaps for some people, it's becoming more of a, a chasm. And that is really impactful when you speak about health. And, um, you know, it's important to note uh, that a digital divide or chasm isn't one thing. It's a fluid dynamic state. Many individuals are comfortable using technology for certain tasks, but not for other tasks. And we can't just assume that if someone has a device that they will use it. And I think patient portals, which is one of the primary methods, it's not just signing up for the vaccines online, but then actually getting the appointment are particularly underutilized by many populations. And so pairing portals or any technology access, as Lori was mentioning, needs to be paired with other options, phone lines, navigators, et cetera. Lori, what sorts of recommendations are being given to, to those who don't have access to the internet. I remember once upon a time, you would send them to the library, right? That was a very popular solution. Well, the library is still there. In fact, uh, depending on whether your library is open for people to use masks and come in, the library is still a place you can access technology. Again, it may not be available everywhere right now. Senior centers has also been an area where people have tried to offer high-speed Internet access or any form of Internet access to people who didn't have it. I think uh, what's going to happen here is that pharmacies are going to have to get involved. Anything that's in a community that is trying to reach the people who need uh, access to schedule, I can't really see why you wouldn't have a situation where people could walk into their local pharmacy and say, I want to be scheduled for the vaccine and have the pharmacy person take care of it through the computer access that the pharmacist has. I don't see why that wouldn't work. Maybe if somebody could think of a reason, I'd I'd be interested in hearing it. Doctor, aside from the issues of access and and the digital divide, there's something else, right? There's a lack of health literacy. Can you talk about that? Yes, I'd be happy to. So health literacy is a construct that covers many different domains, but it's essentially the ability of individuals to access information and then use that information to help them make good health decisions and and take care of their health. And this is something that's been a challenge for many people. And again, is also dynamic, like I mentioned with the digital divide. Individuals may have good health literacy for, say, a chronic disease they've had for a long time, but may have difficulty 
accessing information or, or making decisions. And this isn't something that just lands on the shoulders of individuals. Health systems and clinicians should, should help engage individuals. And the vaccine rollout is a great example of how health literacy and then its partner, e-health literacy, which is this concept of tech literacy, could really be supported through ongoing innovations beyond ZocDoc, which was, again, a great first step. But taking these options offline, having more outreach, and not just relying on, on folks to stumble across the information or find it on their own, mm-hmm. is a way that the system can help support folks across different levels of health literacy. Well, tell us a bit more, Doctor, about the studies that you've done, because you've looked at the levels of health liter- uh, literacy in over 500 at-risk yes. residents on the South Side. What'd you find? Yes, that is correct. So we have found that similar to other research that's been done, low health literacy is common. At least about a quarter to a third of patients, depending on which of the studies we we have done. And the interesting thing is when you also look at this different construct of technology literacy, the two don't necessarily overlap. So someone may have strong health literacy, but not a strong tech literacy. And further, having low health literacy or tech literacy can help you understand usage and access to technology and health decisions. And so having interventions that can accommodate people across the span are important. But we have found that people with lower health literacy are less likely to use the internet to look up health information, for instance. That was one of our key findings. Chris is on the line from Wicker Park. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Reset. Tell us your thoughts. Hello. You know, I'm listening to it, and I'm kind of surprised because I've been trying to get registered and get an appointment since the day one. It was allowed for people over 65, and I am pretty well over 65. I have no problem with technology or with computers. I have a problem that trying to get an appointment, it's absolutely impossible. It doesn't really matter if it's Walgreens or City of Chicago. City of Chicago sends me a link that I should immediately go and get an appointment. I go to the appointment and I find out at the same second that all the appointments, all the everything is necessary, it's filled, and nobody can really uh, have any more appointments anymore. And I'm sitting there for like four days and laughing at all the programs that they're working for older people like me, and mm-hmm. everything is just fine, except it looks like a big joke because I cannot get a single appointment to get my vaccine. So yeah. what is this technology for if the appointments are not possible to get and all the computers are working correctly. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Good question. Yes. I mean, I think one solution that's been used actually at the University of Chicago, where I work, and at other locations is a lottery system, thereby folks are uh, randomized through a lottery system, and then groups of individuals are invited to sign up when their spot comes up for the lottery, and then there are plenty of spots available. And this can be an equitable way across a large population. And then folks don't feel like they had to get there in the first split second or otherwise they miss their chance. So a lottery system can help address the situation that the the call-in speaker just said. Let's jump to another phone call. Uh, Dave is with us from Northbrook. Hi, Dave. What's on your mind? Hi there. Um, Yeah, I'm a little disappointed at this conversation of the digital divide because I think we're making more out of it than it is. And an earlier caller said, oh... You know, some areas have more bandwidth than others. It doesn't matter. A decent app on a, on a smartphone, which pretty much everybody has these days, is really 
enough to get you on. I use North Shore University Health. They have a decent app. I can schedule through their Walgreens. You can schedule through their phone app. They, I think more importantly, and the ZocDoc addresses this, is that they do it in 100 languages. So it's not a technical divide as much as it may be a linguistic divide. And yes, there will be older people who need help. And, you know, they, they just need to be able to find places that they can go, whether it's the corner store that has somebody that can help them punch through an app okay. or the library or the senior center. But I think the more you do this based on a, a mobile basis, we, could, we don't have to talk so much about, you know, who's got what kind of bandwidth and a computer and all that other kind of stuff. It can be a lot simpler than we're making it out to be. Thanks for your call, Dave. Um, now, to be fair, we, we did already mention that half of the older residents that we are speaking about over you know, a certain age, they actually don't have a cell phone. Um, but, Lori, I, I want you to jump in here. Does Dave have a point? Are we making too big a deal about this digital divide? Well, in the context of the vaccine, I, I, there is a point that there's other ways to get it, and I do believe local pharmacies and, and other kinds of services are going to jump in. But the real issue is what else can you do on the Internet other than get a vaccine? And uh, we know that you can uh, learn new skills. You can get part-time jobs, take a course. You can get um, connected to other people. There's quite a few things you can do, and whether you can do them even on a smartphone with a partial screen available to you, um, let's say you want to do a, a, a FaceTime call with a family. Uh, you know, how much can you even see of the participants in that call? So I would say the vaccine is uh, a trigger point right now. But the larger question is, you know, what good is access to a device, the Internet, and information that is available through it? And I do think it's a significant divide. Um, that, and imagine the caller who just uh, spoke about this. Imagine if you took away his smartphone and his computer and his access to the Internet, and then say, okay, now go find out all the information you need about a certain problem. What would you do? The phone book is gone. Right. And the library is closed. And I, <laughs> so I, what I, would you do? Right. I, I just uh, <laughs> I want to reiterate I, my, my uh, correction here. Uh, earlier I mentioned uh, that uh, more than uh, half of um, folks over 60 don't have a cell phone. They don't own a smartphone. So I want to be very specific about smartphone, that. Smartphone, yeah. Smartphone. Well, there's not much of a screen on a cell phone. We should point that out. That's right. And you can't look at a lot of information on it. You can text. You can get a call. But that's about it. too much else. So. That's about it. So, Dr. Press, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about your recommendations um, on, on how to carry out support uh, on a wider scale. You talk, you've talked earlier about, you know, more proactive outreach to, to vulnerable senior citizens. Um, also, that this outreach needs to be multilingual um, and not uh, bogging seniors down with these issues, but rather having the state do it for them. Is that right? Yes, uh, that's correct. And I think it is important to note that the difference between the majority of folks having access to devices, but not everybody and a significant non-trivial portion don't. And that again, that ability to use it optimally. And so that's why, to your question, proactive outreach through phone calls, I love the idea of Lori's point of being able to walk into a pharmacy and get information there. That's a way that someone can initiate, but then someone is right there, a real live person. And the more that the state can help coordinate, like they did with ZocDoc, at least in the city of Chicago, and have other resources, uh, the better for, for the individuals that live here in Chicago and in our state. Lori, let's come back to the moment that we're facing now with COVID and uh, its immediate needs. What do we need the federal and state and municipal governments to be focused on when it comes to investment in this particular issue? 
Well, I think one of the issues is that access to the Internet in general is delivered by carriers who are uh, specific to geographies. Okay, There is no national requirement to even offer high-speed Internet access everywhere in the United States, and there's many sections of the United States that don't have it. In 2010, there was something called the National Broadband Plan, but that was simply a map of who didn't have it and where it wasn't. It wasn't uh, a directive to move forward and provide high-speed Internet access to everybody who, in fact, can totally benefit in their lives, no matter what language they speak, actually, because one of the great things about most of the systems on the Internet that are widely used is they support multiple languages. So I would like to see more of a national push. There's a lot of talk about organizations, uh, advocacy organizations, making a fuss about uh, more connectivity and crossing the digital divide, but I think we, what we really need is collaboration with the carriers who can provide it and with the organizations that want older adults to have it. Let's squeeze in one more caller. David's on the line from Displains. Hi, David. What are your thoughts? With Dr. Price's ideas of reaching out, these septuagenarians, octogenarians, and older who are living alone, some of whom are ha- still having a hard time with technology, they don't want to be a bother often, and they don't want to reach out for help. And I was glad to hear Dr. Press saying that we should be reaching out to them and making sure that they have the services that they need. Thanks for your call, David. Appreciate that. Uh, very briefly before we go, Dr. Press and Lori, the best resources that you've come across here, where should we send people if, if they need some help? Doctor, I'll go with you first. Sure. Well, ZocDoc is a great first stop if you're looking for an appointment, at least to sign up for their email to learn about when new appointments are opening up. And then there's also a collaboration that has come together called Impact for Healthcare. And they have excellent resources that have consolidated a lot of information and are constantly updating it. Lori? I would say one of the best websites, if one can get on the internet, one should go to the aarp.org website and scroll through it, and you'll see the latest information on the virus, guidance on caring for someone with the virus, vaccine information, all kinds of information is there. And once you find that website, I would say it's a great resource for just about everything older adults would like to learn about. That's Lori Orlov, founder of the market research blog Aging and Health Technology Watch, and Dr. Valerie Press, hospitalist and assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Chicago Medicine. Thanks to you both. Thank you so much. And that's today's Reset. Watch your feed for WBEZ's weekly news roundup. It'll pop up this Friday and every Friday at 4.30 p.m. And take 30 seconds to give Reset a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow 